Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 67 of the Uncovered podcast. I'm your host Bairam Kazi who you can find at defmango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find absolutely everywhere. Lots of stuff to talk about today. We'll start with the India versus Afghanistan T20 series which is ongoing in India and Jared India have taken an unassailable 2-0 lead in this three-match series and the star of the show has been all-rounder Shivam Dube. who hasn't been dismissed in the series thus far and he scored 60 in the first game 63 in the second played match winning knocks scored at a strike rate of 150 in the first and nearly 200 in the second and uh, the csk all rounder basically is taking this claim and i want to know what you think uh, is uh, you know is he a solid shout over here um, for the t20 world it, cup squad it's funny i remember i think he was with rajasthan before wasn't he yes he was and um, i remember uh, someone at Rajasthan reaching out to me about their team at the time and and I can't remember how many years ago this was but it wasn't that long ago and and you know they're asking and I said look I I think they are batting him at 5 or 6 at the time and I said I I don't know much about him or anything but I think if he's going to work um in in a sort of domestic environment you want him up the order that that little bit more um and you you want to almost you want to almost make him feel like a batter even if he isn't a batter does that make sense mm. um yeah. and, and I think he had a, i think what really changed for him was that uh when they had the more expanded um i'm trying to think of the right uh, when they brought in the uh new franchises hmm. it meant that he suddenly had a position available to him to bat further up the order rather than you know having an overseas like he went from being kind of more of a he's in your side because you need another local player to now he's 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 you know more useful and it put a little bit more pressure on him and it made him think about his batting a little bit more and i think if i'm not mistaken you might remember i can't can't remember the the full details but i think in this series so far he he bat- certainly batted at number 4 in one of those games does that sound right i think 4 and 5 yeah and so i think you know beforehand he probably would have been seen as more of a 6 and 7 right mm-hmm. and he has developed very very quickly i think the issue for him is probably going to be his bowling Um, I know he's been successful uh in this in this um series so far but my memory is he's going at like 9 or 10 runs and over. Um he, he's taking a couple of wickets. So he's not like a Hardik Pandya um uh version and will he be able to do what he has done better in the IPL and against Afghanistan uh, in knockout games, right? You know, against the best teams in the world. uh when it ma- matters those are, those would be my only questions but on a basic level i always thought that this sort of number f- batting him at number 4 and letting him be a I'm trying to think of what player like not not quite a maxwell but like a number 4 with license right like a, maybe like a puran type number 4 right um but his bowling you have to be careful with his bowling and it's going to go wrong and 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 that and that's more than fine uh for a player of his talent but he's probably more of a supplementary player based on the fact that i think they're just going to have other people who can bat at number 4 with more talent than him right but if he's in your squad and you can i always think players like him are very handy in that it gives you a flexibility if you can get someone who can bat in your top 4 and give you one over a game um that just gives you that little bit more flexibility with everything else and no one's expecting him to bowl four overs a game and you know the you and i could probably score off him you know we probably both go out but we probably <laughs> score off him along the way like that's kind of how he goes um but that one over can be quite important and we've seen that with players like marcus stoinis and uh you know uh, liam livingston well liam livingston might be more than that but those sorts of players where 
one over from that that top area, uh, Aiden Markram's probably another one, just allows you that little bit of flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And whatever he's done or the role clarity or whatever the background stuff is, it's clearly working for him. And options are plenty for India in the middle order. So it's going to be really interesting what players they take to the USA and Caribbean. Speaking of which, the top order conundrum is also something interesting that's going on over here. Now, Yashasvi Jaiswal scored 68 of 34 in the second T20 international. He had a prolific IPL season, as did Shubman Gill. And now you have Virat Kohli in the mix, who also likes to open in T20 cricket, but can also bat first drop. And then Rohit Sharma is obviously there, and he's scored two ducks in this series. So he finished. You know, he's India finished. Bay Ram. <laughs> yeah, that's what a lot of people, at least the Kohli fans, will be saying that, right? But uh, there will be some really tough calls over here that India will have to make come T20 World Cup. I, I think the biggest issue is, and this hasn't. I don't think I've changed my opinion on this in. Ooh, three or four years. And I think me and Ben Jones might have done a podcast about this uh, early on on the Red Inca days. Essentially, when it comes down to it, modern T20 cricket doesn't really need Rohit Sharma and, and Virat Kohli in the one side, right? It's not a strength. Uh, and and I, if there's anyone who will know what I'm talking about, will be a Pakistani fan, right? Of Baba Azam yeah. and Mohammed Rizwan. It's not that they're both not talented. It's just that the game has kind of evolved so that if you have both of those players there, your bowlers need to be really striking well above average um, in order to keep you in it. You'll chase good totals and on dodgy wickets, you'll make your 160 and your bowlers will be able to defend it and everything else. But it's not really how T20 is played. Now, we've seen Virat Kohli or we've heard Virat Kohli and I suppose saw him, uh, he had a strike rate of 180 the other night. Uh, you know, he give himself a nosebleed um, going at that, those kinds of scores, right? But one of them has to do that. That's just the truth of it. Mm. And if not, they're going to have to go with with younger players. Now, in World Cups, generally, despite the fact that fans are always obsessed over younger players and always want the younger player to come in um, until that younger player gets old and then they want them out so they can get the next younger player in. But the truth is, in World Cups, older players usually do better. And that's because they've mm. kind of seen it all. And, you know, as we've talked about before, they're problem-solving events and everything else. Mm -hmm. So you would be, be – I always think you would be better off, like, to be in a situation where you have a mature player uh, who can learn how to play that new role rather than the opposite, which is a young player who you hope does very well. You know, so someone like Moen Khan having the 1999 World Cup where he strikes at a ridiculous rate, you know, or Marcus Stoinis in the 2021 World Cup, was it? Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, those, those sorts of players. Oh, uh, Matthew Wade is another perfect example, both in that World Cup, mm -hmm. of Australia probably had better options or other options that they could have brought in um, at that time. But they went, look, we've got an experienced player who's played all around the world and he's now worked out how to bat in the middle order. Let's just give him a go. With Matthew Wade, it was almost the opposite. They were like, we don't know if we have a better wicketkeeper. Let's give Matthew Wade the job of doing that. Uh, Jaiswal, Gil, I mean, we could go on and on um, about, you know, some of the Indian talent that could come in uh, to that top order. They're not Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma. Right? They don't have that. But if they're both going to chip the ball around 135 strike rates, they're both not going to help India win a World Cup. One of them can do that because then you, you pl use that player as a floating anchor um, in that sort of way. But there's no real reason to have two of them. And I think that you will struggle to catch up with Australia, England, South Africa, um, New maybe even New Zealand at times if you play that kind of game. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting how 
this is a very good analogy with respect to Pakistan as well, as you mentioned, because, you know, uh, Pakistan have got two really exciting young power play batters in Saim Ayub and Mohamed Haris, and then you've got Babar and Rizwan. Now, you know, you have to have one of those guys striking at high strike rates. Otherwise, it's going to be really tough to field them in the same T20-11. So and I think and the other way goes there as well. It's when Everyone got really excited about Mohamed Haris, but then we actually saw him and we're like, he's quite a one-dimensional player, right? He's very good against right-arm pace, not as good as against different kinds of spins, struggle with left arm seam and everything else. That's because he's not a fully developed international player yet. He might mm-hmm. get to that yeah. level. He might not. Some players never do. Martin Guptill kind of was a high-functioning single unit. You know, there were certain kinds mm-hmm. of bowling. Martin Guptill would never hit, right? But he was so good against yeah. the others, he could cover it. But the point being is, with the young players, all we see is the upside, right? And mm-hmm. with the old players, all we see is the downside. Where what we're saying here is it's probably still worth India having the older players around, but not if they both play the same role in a team when they have other players who can come in and play other roles. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's definitely worth having both of those guys in the squad because of the experience they bring. And of course, uh, like you said, big match situations where things can get tricky. I mean, Virat Kohli's knock at the MCG versus Pakistan is literally proof of that, right? So it's interesting, you know, how... All of these teams are faring and T20 cricket has changed so much. Plus, you know, I don't know about the USA. We spoke a bit off off the record about what the conditions might be like because we don't have an awful lot of data. But surfaces do tend to be a bit slower in the Caribbean and power play utilization or, you know, optimality over there is very, very imperative to a team's success. Uh, Anyway, I'll take this time to talk a little bit about whoever has sent in some comments. So Subhashish Bharali is here. He is talking about how Steve Smith's decision to open the batting is refreshing. We're coming up with a podcast on that, on Footmarks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, RSR says, it's 2am in India. How does this timing work for Baram? Baram's a night owl, I guess. He's up later than me, like every night. Like him and Cheyenne, like they both go to sleep (laughs) after I do. Mind you, when I was younger, I used to do that too. I'm just too old now. Too many kids. Also, I have a very flexible routine because I have to record shows for a living and write stuff. So, I mean, I can work things around that way and I can get to play my PlayStation. (laughs) Nishant Jha says, hi, Bairambai. Hello to you as well, Nishant. Arko saying, yo, come on, you're late. We always are. I think you should get used to it. I actually also think we might have put in the wrong time because someone might have put in the BST, not the GMT. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's on me because I didn't know there was a switch over there or that BST is defunct or whatnot. We've also got Keshav Huria and Pratik Jha. He says, Behram, my man, right back at you. And Dr. Daywalker, who has brought up Rohit Stuck. So I hope, you know, your, your question was answered over there. Anyway, moving on to Afghanistan. Now, only one Afghan batter crossed 50 in both games. Surprisingly, that was Gulbadim Naib at first drop in the second T20 International. But, you know, sure, Rashid Khan is in rehab post-surgery. So, Afghanistan were always going to find it tough in the series, which they were even with him there. Mm. But without him, it's even more tough. And you've got to say that the batting hasn't produced the goods like it did in the ODI World Cup. But also, that's because players like Ibrahim Zadran and Rehmat Shah are suited to the ODI format, but not T20s. Yeah. Whereas they do have some hitters. So how do you look at this Afghan batting lineup in T20 cricket? Yeah, it, it's it's not the same, I think. Uh I can't remember when it was, but I've been writing about it for a while that they're sort of setting themselves up as sort of a lot of anchor players in the OUI cricket. And then that sort of hopefully five, six, seven have, uh, you know, well, usually obviously they have one exciting opener, um, which they're going to have for a while. And then, you know, three or four sort of anchors uh, throughout the rest of their, their lineup. T20 cricket, their big skill back in the old days was that everyone 
was kind of a number eight. So they had about 10 blokes who could come in and slog the ball and get you 20 off 12. And it's not quite that kind of a team anymore. Um, they will, I, I don't think Pakistan, I don't think Afghanistan is ever going to have trouble with finding hitters because of the way their cricket has developed and everything else. What they really need to do now, and this is the tough bit for someone like Jonathan Trott, is how do you get the guys who can score at strike rates of 70 in ODI cricket to score at strike rates of 125 to 130 in T20 cricket? Then I yep. don't think they're going to get 140, 145, um, uh, you know, out of those sorts of players. Uh, but they need they need and probably an anchor who can score at a run rate that doesn't drag down everyone else and then for everyone else to hit around. And because of the fragility of the Afghanistani batting lineup in T20 cricket, they might need two anchors where another team only needs Mm -hmm. one. Um, But they, you know, there's a couple of players in that side that I know didn't didn't make any runs uh, so far, but, you know, uh, they've obviously got uh, Najibullah um, uh, missing someone else I met. Uh, There's Ramanullah Gurbaz. He's terrific yeah, in the power play. Uh, so Gurbaz and um, Asmatullah um, hmm. is You know, so there's three guys there that I all kind of back to be hmm. decent score. You know, decently fast scorers. But you know, what it needs to be backed up with. There's still a couple of guys who give them that sort of spine of their side. Incredible that Muhammad Nabi and um, Gulbuddin, I think are their two leading scorers in that squad. And yeah. yet are a combined age of 400. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone know how old Gulbuddin actually is? Cause he was like, he was a former bodybuilder, right? When they mm. did that BBC documentary on the team in like 2006, it's 2024, Bayram. He still looks <laughs> about, 32, like, because most of the Afghanistani players, even when they are young, look 40, right? They're just, yeah, he's, you know, and yet he looks young now and looked young back then. Um, like, at a certain point, are we not sure he hasn't been cloned, Gulbadeen? Like, that there's just, they're just, every five years, we just get a new Gulbadeen and no one notices. Maybe they've injected the blood or whatever of Popeye the Sailor Man into Gulbadeen's veins because he clearly looks like him. He's got the guns, doesn't you know? he? Uh, look, he's a lovely, lovely person. <laughs> I, I spent a little bit of time with him during the 2019 World Cup and uh, he thanked me for my coverage. I don't think I've ever had a male cricketer say that before. May- maybe the associate cricketers, but I'm not even sure any of those have actually said those words. Um, but he's not very good. And he tries really hard, which makes him, I think, a uh, a really good cricketer to, to support um, from from that point of view. But it, it's incredible to see him still out there making runs. Yeah, well, uh, you know, ethnically, the Pathan people yeah. who are like, uh, there are some in Pakistan as well, Shahin Shafridi, Mohammad Rizwan, and then all of the Afghan boys, they are perceived as stronger, tougher. And, you know, I mean, there's a case over there. there we've got some evidence and... Uh, before we go on break, wait a minute. Can I just Jay say Rich one thing? Yeah, Gulbadeen on Crick Info is thirty-two. He doesn't no remember chance. when his son turned thirty-two. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. I mean, I think Muhammad Nabi is also quite old, and that. <laughs> but Muhammad Nabi looks wrong. old. So even you know, mm. it, it's the whole Misbah Yunus thing, right? Where where yeah. like Yunus is like, well, obviously, I'm much older than my actual stated age, and we all understand that, yeah. and that's fine. Um, that that's a perfectly acceptable, but Gulbuddin doesn't make any sense at all because he if he's thirty two passing right, but he's mm-hmm. been playing cricket for forty years. 
Hmm. <laughs> okay, so before we go on break, there's someone in the comments called Jay Rich, and he says that he loves all the work that you do, Jared, but he thinks your takes on Bangladesh cricket are lazy. So you want to say something to that? No, they're not lazy. I mean, <laughs> what what does that mean? We did heaps and heaps of work on Bangladesh cricket. Mm -hmm. I've talked to pitch curators there. I've talked to players. I've worked with a franchise for a little uh, bit. Um, no, it's just nonsense. If, if, if anyone thinks I'm lazy when it comes to their team, what they're really saying is they spend all their time focusing on their team. There are, what, 600 professional cricketers that I have in my mind at any one time, right? There are 43 different T20 competitions going on at the moment, plus international games being played. It is almost impossible. I had a, <coughs> a young cricket journalist asked me to train him in how I did what I did. And I think his head exploded and he decided to just cover his team from then on in. It is really, yeah. really hard. But if you spend most of your time being interested in Bangladesh cricket, I don't. What I do is I look for key trends within their team. So for of recent times, it's that young injection of batting that's been coming through. So if you have a look, you know, uh, I've done a few different pro uh, uh, projects on that kind of batting that's come through, talked about it on podcasts and everything else. And the other thing is, you know, the the bowlers, the seam bowlers that that, that have come through, and a little bit on on the all round nature of, of Mahidi, I suppose as well, right? Those are the key things I need to know about Bangladesh at the moment because Bangladesh is neither the worst team nor are they a team that is about to be a, a proper semi finalist. Um, I was, yeah. if you go back, I think you'll see I was pretty accurate about them in, in the last mm. World Cup. I think they underperformed my beliefs, but I think there are a lot of people mm. thinking they're a semi final chance. I think you'll see that I did never thought they were a semi-final chance coming in. So if, if even in my laziness, it's still accuracy. But you've got to remember that I'm not covering each individual. But Mohammed Issam is going to know more about Bangladesh cricket than mm. I'm ever going to know about Bangladesh cricket. Dan Bredig is going to know more about Australian cricket than I'm ever going to know about Australian cricket. But the rest of them, they don't know all the other things that I know about all these different teams. And that is what this gig is. Um, but uh, imagine calling me lazy. I literally broadcast 83 hours a day, dude. Yeah, I mean, I can attest to this, right? I've been working with Jared for what now? Seven, eight months. And there's a lot of things that you can call him, but lazy is not I one did, of them. I did five and podcasts yesterday, right? <laughs> I did five podcasts yesterday. Today, I've done a talk sport podcast. I was on Dealt With Cricket on their TikTok channel. I'm now doing two podcasts again with Bayram. And while Bayram was getting his times confused, I was off writing another <laughs> episode and still helping on another episode that we've done. Like, I, I'm a lot of things, right? Yeah. Not that. Definitely not. And I mean, we've brought up Tawheed's Ridoy multiple yeah. times on I'm, this I'm podcast. A, as I said, Shanto Ridoy, that kind of, yeah. so that's kind of, I, I, just to explain it a little bit more, I, I'm kind of constantly evaluating where teams are, right? Men, men and women, less so franchises, although sometimes franchises. And what I'm looking for is an interesting shift. Uh, have they changed the way they played? Have they changed the way they selected? Are they on the way up? Are they on the way down? Are they about to be the worst team? Because then I'm very interested, right? Are they about to be better than they've ever been before? Then I'm very interested. But think about that. Are they going to change their surfaces at home? Oh, all these sorts of things. So if you think about it, men's and yeah. women's cricket, I probably now have about 22 teams. Oh, if you count the associates, maybe about 24 to 26 mm -hmm. teams where I have a, like a mental um, idea of where those teams are. So when I hear news about a team, I'm like, okay, is this interesting? Is this something I can fit into everything else? That's before the fact that the Melbourne Stars didn't make the finals again. And, you know, everyone wants me to talk about the Melbourne Stars. And once the IPL starts, everyone's going to ask me about uh, RCB, 
right? And although all those, all, all, you know, um, who's the really crap team in the PSL for years? Was it Lahore? Uh, yeah, yeah, for ages, but then they won to Exactly. So Lahore for years, that was another one where I had to keep my mind on Lahore. Obviously, when Islamabad were being quite interesting, when Northamptonshire were being interesting, right? All these, these yeah. are all the little things that I'm trying to keep in my head at any one time on top of individual players and everything else. And, you know, um, you know, we've got a couple of big interviews coming up on Red Inker and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there might have been a player who's played very good cricket of recent times who might be coming on the podcast, all these sorts of things. So it's, it's a, it, uh, you know, and, and Bayram will know when he started with me, he was pretty much, you know, Pakistan centric. He knows just mm-hmm. trying to keep up with what we are doing. And, and you're on what, three podcasts a week, four podcasts a week? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just trying to keep up with that. And that's not including the mm-hmm. YouTube channel and the emailer and, and, and my outside work. work. It, it, it's, a, it's a job keeping up with all this sort of stuff. So you can call me wrong. Uh, you can, you know, you can uh, definitely argue with anything else. But if you call me lazy, spend 24 hours um, in my life and you would actually physically pass out. Die? I was going to say die, but maybe that's Pretty a bit much. extreme. Uh, that is a bit too dark. And Arko has appreciated your uh, analysis of Bangladesh cricket. So, uh, yeah, Jay, Rich, uh, we plan to do a really short podcast today. And because of you, we've gone <laughs> at least seven minutes over. So, anyway, I think that's a good note to take a break. And you're watching Uncovered with Jared and Bairam. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the short ad break. Remember that cricket is a funny game. hundred years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with Nord VPN today. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast with Behram and Jared. Next up, we're going to talk about New Zealand versus Pakistan. There's a five-match T20i series going on and New Zealand have won the first two games. And the biggest story coming out of their camp, Jared, has been Finn mm. Allen. Now, the explosive opener has played three, 37 T20 internationals now. He was the replacement of Martin Guptill. He only averages 20 and a half and only has four 50s. But one of those 50s has come in this series in which he has been in blistering touch. A quick fire 34 in the first game and 74 of 41 in the second He's hitting form at the perfect time for the Black Caps, which will encourage them because they've put a lot of faith in this player, haven't they, Jared? Look, the thing with New Zealand cricket is that they, it doesn't really matter who the player is. They kind of have to put faith in them. They're never going to have more than 20, 22 plays at any stage that are international quality, right? Like, it's not like, you know, Bangladesh or um, Sri Lanka or even some of the other smaller countries who, uh, you know, smaller, uh, you know, non-major countries, I should say. Um, 
they kind of have to invest in these players. And I think we talked about it recently. Uh, Finn Allen, Glenn Phillips, um, Mark Chapman, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Seifert. Seifert? Seifert. Seifert, yeah. Tim Seifert. Yeah. There's four guys who clearly are international quality limited overs players, right? And they haven't quite just been they haven't quite taken it. Now, they've been lucky because, you know, obviously Ratcham Ravindra and Daryl Mitchell and Will Young, like a lot of these guys have just come in and just look like they've been playing. For Devin Conway. Devin Conway, yeah, really good example. Yeah. So they've been lucky from that point of view. But I think that if you look at the players I just mentioned then, you know, Mitchell, even Ravindra um, and and Conway are probably more hmm. anchory type players. They're not necessarily all anchors, but they are that kind of player. Whereas Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips, specifically uh potentially 150 160 strike rate type players right like i mean i would i would challenge you over there because i think that daryl mitchell in particular is evolving his game he's definitely justifying that ipl price tag slammed 61 of 27 in the first game and he's been a revelation for the kiwis ever since he broke onto the scene and like you mentioned he papers over those cracks of all of these young guys not performing i don't think i've seen a better batter hit straight sixes down the ground in recent times than daryl mitchell I mean, yes and no. What what I would say about that is he um, last year he played eighteen T20s and a strike rate of one hundred and twenty two. Right. Hmm. So you've seen him in a couple of games hit some sixes. No one has any doubt that he can hit sixes. He quite often takes a long time to get started. Um, mm-hmm. He that that's kind of what I more mean by an anchor. We know power wise, he has no problem. We saw him in the World Cup, you know, in twenty twenty one when when he got New Zealand through that final. But he takes a long time to get started. He's never going to be, I don't think, someone who can consistently score quickly from ball one, right? Hmm. That is what Finn Allen does. That is what Glenn Hmm. Phillips can do. They have the ability of – so Finn Allen, I'm trying to think of someone he could be like, um, maybe an Alex Hales type player, Hmm. right? Yeah. And Glenn Phillips is a Glenn Maxwell type player, right? Mm -hmm. So Daryl Mitchell, it doesn't, I mean, they've got him anyway, so that's already a bonus. The point is that they have these other guys that haven't quite been able to step up against the best opponents consistently uh, in in the major tournament so far. None of these guys have taken over the IPL the way, I mean, when Finn Allen first came through, people were talking him up as, you know, a a Dibbled Brevis type level of player Mm -hmm. for a little while. We haven't seen anything near that. I mean, we haven't seen anything from Daryl Brevis either, but but you know what I mean? We haven't seen that come through yet. We can tell that it's there, but there are other issues within his batting. And I think being able to do this against new, uh, who they play? Pakistan. Uh, I just want yeah. to have a look. So he made, what, 71 or 41? 74? Yeah, 74 or 41. No, no, no. He That was Finn Allen. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Who did I say then? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought you were talking about Daryl Mitchell. No, no, no. Originally. No, Daryl Mitchell, uh, mm. yeah. He's fine. We're, we're all cool with Daryl Mitchell. Yeah. But mm. but for for Finn Allen to be able to do what what we have seen so far uh, in, in this series against Shaheen, Harris-Ralph, um, you know, Usama Amir, uh, Amir, Jamal, like this is not a bat. This is not quite World Cup final level attack, mm-hmm. but it's – you know, top six teams in the World Cup level of attack, right? Um, and to be able to do that against them, that is the, the, the level of jump that they need because they already have Conway and Ravindra mm. and Daryl Mitchell. And I'm trying to think who else is, you know, who else is in their top order at the moment? Uh, who, who else do they have? Kane. Oh, Kane. Yeah, he, he's pretty handy, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so they really need 
Glenn Phillips or Finn Allen, maybe even Mark Chapman, who I still think is not far behind some of those guys on talent, but, you know, or, you know, Seifert to come back in or whatever that may be, just because we're talking about the level here between maybe making a semifinal or a final and being a genuine title winning team. And I think on talent, New Zealand is okay, but they're just a team that can't have a couple of underperformance. They... You know, it has to be that that they're at their very best when everyone sort of steps up. And we've seen that again and again. And, uh, it, you know, how old's Finn Allen now, do you think? I think he's probably mid-20s because he's been around for a bit, right? Yeah, so he's not yet 25. So if it happens when he's 26, that's fine. But this is why he's been carried for so long because they know that the upside of Finn Allen is extraordinary. Right, and it's the same reason Mark Chapman's been carried so long, and Glenn Phillips has been carried so long. I wouldn't have thought any of those guys have massively plus records in international cricket at the moment. Uh, Finn Allen, twenty-seven ODI batting average and twenty-four T Twenty batting average, but with a one fifty-eight strike rate, which is kind of mm. goes back to what I'm saying. So you know, it, it they are they are betting on these guys eventually coming good. And then they have the more consistent players around them, you know, Kane and Daryl and, and, and Conway yep. and, and these sorts of players. So it, it's an interesting time for them. But that is, I think, do you think that's a difference between them being a good team and being like a legit, content, uh, you know, top level team? Yeah, I mean, if all of those guys come to the party, they're definitely contenders because they've shown us time and again, it's a, you know, repeated trend over here that New Zealand will find yeah. a way to make the knockouts. Can they go one step better? That's been the challenge. And the World Test Championship final was different. It's a one-off game that was a golden generation playing that yeah. game. And they even had the better of the conditions in England versus India. Well, also, so, it, lots it, of things that, was a, that was a test, a test where they had mm. an incredible uh, bowling lineup that hasn't really ever existed for them too much before mm. then and hasn't existed since in one day yeah. cricket you need a, not that you need more of a combination obviously you knew that is in test cricket mm. as well but in tests bowlers win you the games and in one day cricket generally uh it's the batters who 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 win you the um games whereas it's still bowlers who win you the tournaments but you know th- yeah. that's a, a slightly different uh, a way of looking at things but mm. point being that uh, i i think you're right that it's it and, and it, i don't think it is talent I do think there are young players coming through over there that are very, very interesting. But if Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips and Mark Chapman and Tim um, Seifert, Seifert don't <laughs> uh, don't get to that level quickly, my guess is looking at their team that the bowling is going to fall off. Right? They've got, yep. you know, Ishodi isn't as old as he feels, but Tim Southey, <laughs> you know, obviously is, and Trent Bolt uh, is getting on as well, and Carl Jameson's quite often uh, injured, and you know, it's not. You know, and and Lockie is quite often injured, and Milne is quite in, often injured, and everything else. Like, I don't know how long they're going to have that one of those two great old seamers, mm. a young fast or you know a, a properly fast bowler, um, and mm. good quality spin available to them at all at the same time. Their time is probably this World Cup in in, in America. Um, it, I, you know, the next tournament, it might just be a completely different generation coming through, especially from the bowling perspective. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro Chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot.
Yeah, with respect to the batters, uh, I would say one thing that Pakistan for 30 overs out of 40 in these two T20s bowled absolute garbage. That's and not right. That, that, that seems suboptimal, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and if I was their analyst, I would suggest not doing that. Yeah. I mean, in the last 10 overs of the second T20, they pulled things back quite considerably. But other than that, they've been bang average, I feel. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from New Zealand as a batting side, but they, their job was definitely made easy. With respect to the bowling, I'll tell you this. I've seen some of Ben Sears bowling this this uh, series and I'm quite impressed. And he, you know, could go for runs at times, but he definitely looks like someone who could, you know, cut it at that level. If Milne's fitness holds up, he took a forfer in the second T20, so he could be an option for that T20 World Cup. But Tim Saudi. Now, this is someone who I feel is New Zealand's unsung hero because he often falls under the radar. But in this series, he took four wickets in the first game and two in the second. Hasn't gone for very many runs either. Is really, you know, nailing that slow one and those cutters, which is quite impressive. And I guess that's, you know, it comes with all the experience and he's always been a skilled bowler. But here's the fun fact. He has now surpassed 150 wickets in T20 internationals. And that's the most for any bowler. So, is it? Yeah, that's, that's quite something. I didn't realise yeah. that. I mean, that's... I wonder how much of that is also that he's not always been in demand on the franchise circuit. Although having said that, he has actually played IPL, you know, not, he hasn't mm. played a lot of games, but he's been on a lot of benches and in a lot of squads. Uh, look, he's a, he's a clever bowler. If, if New Zealand get through to, you know, a, a clutch game, having a bowler like that available to them is incredible. I don't think he's ever been a hugely great uh, T20 bowler. Uh, t- tell me about Sears. My, my, um, notes on Sears say he's a little bit slow. Uh, what sort of hmm. paces was he bowling? I actually wasn't looking at the paces. How did he all feel that, to uh, you? What, what kind of face did he feel was, like? In, in the second game, he felt like someone who was hard to get underneath. Okay. And, and I think that's a valuable skill. So, I mean, there are I've always these felt like I'm a man who's hard to get underneath, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'll tell you this, like I've seen a lot of fringe New Zealand bowlers in recent times because they've also sent those sort of teams mm-hmm. to Pakistan uh, during the IPL and whatnot. Blair Tickner, Scott Kugline and the likes. And I think Ben Sears is the one that's looked most impressive out of those guys. Like Whether he can cut it at like even Matt Henry level or Lockie level, that's still yet to be seen. But, you know, with respect to Saudi, uh, yeah, he's been in bold shadow a bit as well. But obviously, bold. Like, if you'd give me an option to pick one of those bowlers for my team, I'd always pick bold. Well, I mean, the, the weird thing with Saudi is, if you look at the four main seamers of modern New Zealand cricket, mm. you know, uh, Wagner is a force up on to himself, right? Like, he's just... Yeah. I'm almost move him aside. Carl Jameson. Wagner is a disruptor, yeah. right? That's something completely different. Exactly. And then you've got uh, you've got Jameson, who obviously came in and was just so fantastic mm. in Test Cricket. How could you not talk about him? Yeah. And Bolt has probably, maybe not every year, but consistently been that little bit better than Southie. And and you can throw in, you know, Milne and Henry and, and Ferguson, all these other yeah. guys who've done well. Um, I, I always thought that the, the most interesting thing that Saudi ever did was when he came in. So I, I called straight away, maybe his first or second game, that he'd be a 10-year player. And he, hmm. and a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? Because he was about 18 or 19. But I was like, well, he's yeah. tall and he bowls an outswinger and he's accurate. Like, he really shouldn't get hit all that much in test cricket. But he did struggle a little bit in that middle of, bit of his career. And then I think it was him and Alan Donald worked together. And he put on about a yard, yard and a half of pace. Since then, he's also gone through that Jimmy Anderson level of the things that he can do with the ball. He's not quite skillful in the way that Jimmy Anderson is, but he's got two different versions of the wobble ball that he bowls, for instance. And, you know, and, well, and, and you know, very, very clever at the way uh, he, he, he thinks through situations. He's probably still a yard too slow 
um, to be a consistent threat. But he just works and tries his way through. You know, also always a big fan of any fast bowler who can field in the slips. Always a big fan of fast bowlers who captain sides as well. And he's done that fairly well for New Zealand. Really good sub for Kane Williamson. And Kane actually got injured, Jared. Uh, he pulled a hamstring, I believe. Oh. And he is unlikely to feature in the remainder of this T20 series. He's been unlucky with those injuries because he was looking in good touch. Uh, sluggish 57 in the first game of 42 balls. But in the second game where he got injured, he was going at quite a good click. So that's a bit of a worry, isn't it, for them now? He just keeps picking up injuries. I mean... Oh, you always worry <laughs> there are some injuries that they call, you know, the old man injuries. Hmm. But at a certain point when every couple of games you have a different injury, it's just like it doesn't matter if it's the old man injury or not. Like maybe hmm. maybe your body is trying to tell you something. If you if I told you that Williamson was going to play for another four years, would you be surprised or would you think that was right? I would say he'd have to give up a format or two. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a part of me that thinks he could easily play for another four years if he wanted to. And also a part of me that hmm. thinks... He might quit tomorrow. And I don't think he will. But I mean, just from the, uh, the injuries and everything else, like I, I can tell you with the elbow injury, he wasn't that far away from just throwing it in. So it's already happened mm. once where he's, you know, thought, thought, about, thought about his future maybe rather than throwing it in. But point being is I have, I have no idea of how long he wants to play for and everything else. But if he keeps getting injured, maybe that gets answered for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because Kane Williamson, his weakest format is probably T20 cricket and that's the one where the money is. So there's some interesting calls to be made over here and I'm keen to see how his career unfolds. Usha Arora is asking our thoughts on Smith's test opener. There's an entire podcast coming on that. I've mentioned this before as well. Footmarks this week is on the Smith opening experiment. And uh, well, Kane Williamson is a certified anchor. There's another one playing in this series and uh, Barbara Azam is batting at first drop after a lengthy period of, uh, you know, batting his opener. He's the leading run scorer across both teams with back-to-back 50s, but he's getting a lot of stick on social media because uh, even though... because he's batting too fast. I mean, yeah, the strike rates look good at the end of it, right? 162 and 153. But in the 162 strike rate game, he was chasing 227 and he got off to a really slow start. And in the 153 game... You know, he did slow down towards the middle. But what I am more concerned with over here is what is his role? Is he supposed to anchor? Mm. Do we even need anchors anymore in T20 cricket? Because Rizwan has been batting fast. There's clear intent over there. He's trying to score quickly and he's trying to compromise some of that average for strike rate, which is good. But I'm not sure over here why A, Babar Azam gets all of this criticism where he's not the reason Pakistan are 2-0 down. You can micro-analyze the innings, but he's not the problem over here. The bowling was the problem in these games. And I feel like mentally, Pakistan's fan base and the PCB have really done a solid number on Babar because he seems quite exhausted. You and I did a podcast ages ago about the, the conversation mm. with Babar Azam is quite toxic. Like, you know, you know, mm. I follow a lot of people in and around Pakistani cricket and I want to unfollow them all because of their yeah. pro or anti Babar Azam tweets. On a near daily basis. Yeah. It's just like, dude, Every he cannot be in the day. news this much. What is wrong with you guys? Yeah. Focus on friggin' all-rounder every now and again, right? And, 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 and that's why it's gotten more exhausting with time because, you know, he's even trying over here. You can see that Barber is trying, right? You can make a case. You can criticize. You can microanalyze. Why is this a life and death situation for crying out loud? Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, I think you're right that they're not losing because of him. I still think... Mm. I, I don't like the catch-up innings. 
style, mm. unless yeah, unless you're Chris Gale, right? And even with Chris Gale, it mm. caused issues for for the, you know sometimes the teams he played on, sometimes the guys he batted with, right? But as a general rule, I don't like that style just because it it, it what it does is you end up with a good strike rate, but you end up with a good mm. strike rate because you've batted so long not because you've made an impact earlier in the game. And it means that other players have to probably often sacrifice their wickets because you're batting too slow, right? So it doesn't... It, also, the days that you don't come off, oh, it really throws everyone that, That's place. the bigger issue, is the days that it doesn't come mm. off. But even when it comes off, like the K.O. Raul situation of, well, his strike rate's still this. And it's like, yes, his strike rate is that. But if he had scored at a strike rate roughly of that all the way through the innings and average 10 less, you know, in games, he would have a bigger impact for his team than he currently is doing this, right? Uh, having said that, both of those players, uh, you know, K.O. Raul and Baba Azam, they do it because they don't really trust their batting, right? When it comes down to it, you know, uh, we've, we've talked about the Evan Golbus effect. It is a real thing. These guys do look at the batting order sometimes and just go, I don't know. I mean, where did Shaheen come in in one of these games? Wasn't he batting at like number six in one of these games? I mean... Yeah, yeah. He promoted himself up the order. He's done that for Lahore and I was surprised. Actually, I, was, I wasn't surprised. He promoted I himself up the order, but he didn't really promote himself above batters, did he? Uh, yeah, he did. Ahmed Jamal. Ahmed Jamal just scored 82 at the... What was it? SCG in Australia in a test match. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, there's one guy who can hit. He's still, I still think of him more of a bowler who can hit um, than than. I mean, a even Abbas Afridi, who we're going to get to in a bit, because I really want to talk about him. He's, you know, a better bat than. Shine oh, Afridi I'm not is. saying there are better bat. I, I, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I don't even know who the coach is anymore. Um, I haven't finished that. Oh, Hafiz. I'm. Well, is he coach or is he there? Um. I, I really think that there's. I, I, I'll try and get Mickey Arthur on the podcast. I know he talked to. Was mm. it Crickbuzz? No, Wisden. I think he did an interview with the other day. Yeah, he talked to Amir, Amir Malik yeah. at Wisden. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to get him on uh, to talk about it, but I do think that with Baba, there is a, a. And you see this a lot with really talented players in general that whole idea of that they don't trust the, anyone else to do the job. I wonder if that is a thing with, with, with Baba. And, and because of that, he just bats that little bit slower and it causes issues and doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, plus if the openers go deep with him at first drop, do you bat him at all? There's that question as well, right? So maybe he is best suited to open the innings and you have other people just, you know, hit big around him and let him accumulate and hopefully more days or more often than not, he'll come good. But it's a really hot topic right now. And while there is nuance in this conversation, the fact that it's been made so mainstream in Pakistan mm. cricket media literally makes me not want to open Twitter. It's, That's where we're it's at It's the right dumbness now. of the, the, the conversation. Mm. And, you know, we, we see this all the, all the time with so many different things. And, you know, we, we just had a week of David Warner and there's so many people so angry mm. with the, the video we made about David Warner. And they don't really want to get into the nitty gritty of the conversation. They just start with either David Warner was great or David Warner wasn't great. And there is no middle ground. You can't have a conversation with people who think that way. It's just pointless. And that is all. That's all the Baba's um, conversation has been for about six years. I can't have conversations with respect to any discourse that's dealt in extremes. Yeah. You have to have balanced views on things and look at all the facets that contribute to the way things are happening. But anyway, another shining light for Pakistan in this series. Uh, you mentioned him earlier. Of course, Fakhar slammed a whirlwind 50 and there were shades of Bengaluru. That was great viewing. But Abbas Afridi, seam bowling all-rounder. His uncle Umar Gul is part of the team management. So that's a little fun awesome. uh, Well, fact over there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Gull was number 55, Stokes is number 55, and Abbas Afridi chose to take number 55. So I love that. And I don't know how much of the PSL you followed, but he was absolutely sensational for Multan Sultans. And he was a key part of them reaching the finals. And this is a bowler, Jared, who... You know, when you look at him ball, he doesn't instill fear in the opposition batters. He's not that kind of bowler. He has a great back of ha- back of the hand, slower one. And he ha- mixes up his pace really well. You know, throws himself around the field. Really, really hard worker. And in this first series of his debut game, he took three wickets for, I think, 34. In a game where the opposition scored 226. And he has five wickets overall. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much you've seen him play. But there's a lot of promise over here. There is promise. I worry about bowlers who break onto the scene and take wickets and can't keep the economy rate down at all because you... You remember that CSK guy? What was his name? I mean, I've got a list of about 70 of these bowlers. But yeah, uh, I'm sure the CSK guy is on my list. I can't even remember who that is now. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think you and I maybe we even talked about this before, but it's something that I notice a lot. And these guys, they come in and they take a whole bunch of wickets. Everyone gets really excited. Then you look at their economy and you're like, Wait, he's going at nine runs and over, right? So he's going to have to continue to take one and a half wickets per game to keep himself in a side, right? And yeah. eventually you stop taking wickets. And when you stop taking wickets, mm-hmm. that nine runs and over doesn't go down. It goes up, right? And mm-hmm. um, I, I think he goes for more than that because someone someone sent me a message. They wanted me to look into him. And and I've seen some clips. I, I haven't got enough to have a, like a thorough take. I think that... People with that sort of kick-ass slow ball quite often take a lot of wickets in that kind of situation. And 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with the way he plays. But he's got to learn how to also shut the, the you know, um, uh, the runs down. And I don't mean be a good economy bowler, but he has to get it to mm. eight and a half runs and over, right? He, he has to be at that yeah. sort of thing. Because, you know, Shadul Takur is a perfect example of this, of just sort of bouncing around. Shadul is a okay wicket taker sometimes he's a really good wicket taker but you can't bowl him because he just his economy is just uh unusable right and and andre russell is another perfect example of andre russell just continues to take wickets at a nice enough rate that it's okay Hmm. but even andre russell at times has struggled uh with this kind of thing and it's not easy and especially it it's i I suppose bowling's his main skills in a batting sort of his secondary he can hit a little bit can't he more than being a batter yeah um but yeah. I just don't think you can be a full-time bowler with that kind of economy rate. But I'm excited by the wicket-taking um, opportunities. You know, is it, did you say it was his uncle, uh, Umogul? Yeah. yeah. Umogul is his uncle. Yeah, that, there's a dude who can tell you how not to go for any runs, right? Like if you... Yeah. Teach Abbas teach Afridi how to bowl six Yorkers in an over. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and so I, I do think that it's better to start with a, an extreme talent than not start with an extreme talent. But you can't just be completely one-dimensional in that way. You do have to have more about your game. And um, he's, he's young. He's, what, 22, 23? Yeah. We're not talking about the finished product or anything near mm. that at the moment. But there's a lot of potential there. But that's the thing I note. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway as well because he's a developing cricketer. He has lots of time to up his game. And also, add a few clicks to his bowling, maybe. That would definitely help. And yeah, I mean, the fact that he can hit the ball around helps. And that slow one will be a useful weapon in T20 cricket. And uh, Jay Rich has said that he was really impressed with him in the GT20 where he had a lot of heads turning and apparently Jay Rich was there around the players and is crediting his change of pace, calling it beautiful. Anyway, it, it, Jared, it gets a lot of uh, drop on the ball, we, which I really like. Yeah. yeah, 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 I like that as well. Anyway, before we take a break, there's a super chat. So if you want Ooh. to take that quickly. Well, you start reading it and I'll find it. Sure. So 
Sushriyo Misra says BBC documentary Out of the Ashes is from 2010 where Gulbuddin is shown as a young 18 year old. I rewatched it recently. The math checks out. It doesn't. It doesn't check out. Wait a minute. Your math is bad. Out of the Ashes came out in 2010 and he was 18. So he's saying 14 so years did. after that. Okay. Go back and have a look at it. Oh, it actually does check out. My math is bad. I'm sorry. It's just But go back and have a look at it and I'm pretty sure they say he was already a bodybuilder. By that, so what was he a fifteen-year-old bodybuilder? You, that's the math I'm not believing, right? Of of the, I'm not saying there isn't fourteen years since that movie came out. I'm saying he was eighteen and he'd already had another whole sporting career at that point. It just the whole thing seems a little bit odd. Um, it, look, he's a fantastically interesting career. If you haven't seen that film as well, I was, weirdly enough, I was talking about that film today with, with, with someone. Um, Uh, it's a really good one on the early part of of Afghanistan cricket, and and it, when you watch that movie and you're thinking, well, the way they just played in this last World Cup, it will blow your mind at how far back they started and to where they are now. So remarkable! But thank you very much for the super chat as well, mate. Yeah, and the an math, amazing journey, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm Loki. Honestly, I didn't even hear much of that because I was so embarrassed that me with an engineering background got that basic math wrong, and I had to apologize to Sushriyo. But anyway, we'll be back after a short break. You're watching Uncovered with Jared and Bairam, and there's lots to talk about. So stay tuned after this short break. Welcome back to the Uncovered podcast. You're with Jared and Bairam, and next up, we're going to talk about Sri Lanka versus Zimbabwe. There was a three-match ODI series. One game got washed out, and Sri Lanka won it two nil. But you know they could very well have lost a game. Zimbabwe was in pole position to win the second ODI, but that's when newcomer Janet Lianage. I hope I got that pronunciation right because I asked I asked Estelle how that name was pronounced. He scored a vital 95, and you know in the first game that got washed out, Charita Salanka, who has been a bit of a mainstay in that middle order, he scored a ton. You also have Sadira Samra Wickrama in the fold, who's done well in recent times. So Jared. Sri Lanka aren't going to be playing the Champions Trophy next year, so it makes sense for them to kind of build that batting core. You know, come World Cup, that'll really help them. Yeah, no, it makes sense for them to have Angelo Matthews opening the bowling. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, Angelo has said that he has been out of the T20 team because of agendas. What what agendas do all the franchises in the world have against him? <laughs> I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Maybe, Look, maybe. I. I, 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 I I've been following Angelo Matthews for so long. He's been one of my favorite cricketers. A lot of what he says, I just think, what is the point of this? Like one of the one of, there was a legit agenda against him in that the team was upset. They they thought he got overweight, right? That he wasn't mm. taking it seriously. He went for years of maybe not being the player that we remember. Like peak Angelo Matthews was a force. An absolute force. He couldn't bowl as fast as he used to. His body fell apart. Some of that is just old age as well, and, and overuse and everything else. But he's no longer really wanted that much on the major franchise circuit, right? He's not getting calls up to to play in in, in major leagues anymore, and he seems very angry with the situation he's been in. I have when he was young, I thought he was incredibly driven, incredibly smart, incredibly professional. When was the last time you probably thought of those three things? But look, Smart's the only one that has probably stayed with him. Obviously, mm. don't you don't get that much dumber. Although you know, depends. You might have parents who become conservative, but um, you know, you don't you don't get you know that much dumber in general, right? But mm. he doesn't feel like he's been driven for a very long time, and I don't feel that same professional nature that he he, he once had. 
I, if I was working with him, right, if I was, I don't know, his mm. private analyst, I'd be saying to him, are you doing everything you can to be the best cricketer you can be? Because 10 years ago, I would have said you are, and now I would question that, right? He, I would be looking yeah. inward. Uh, that, and that's not to say you and I both know, there probably is nonsense within Sri Lankan selection, right? Yeah, but if you're in the sure. best three or four players, they ain't dropping you. They're not dropping you if 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 you're an absolute star. They're dropping you if you become a fringy type player. And I would argue that he probably did become a fringy like player. And he's way better than that. I'll tell you one thing. Angelo, when he started off his career, he was a prodigy. It feel it felt like he was the obvious successor to, you know, Mahela and Sangha in that Sri Lankan middle order, particularly in Test cricket. You know, that's mm-hmm. where I liked him most. And over the years, he's had that drop-off, he's gained weight, and he started to speak a lot more. He wasn't that vocal a player in his youth, and now he's always, he seems to be whining. The whole timeout situation was embarrassing. This situation is embarrassing because you scored, what, 46 of 38. Why are you on this high horse? Sure, you, you know, literally uh, snuck a game out of Sikandaraza Butt's elite performance. Man scored 62 and took 3 for 13 in 4 overs, and still Zimbabwe lost, which is really sad. What's the story here? Why? Where is all of this arrogance coming from? I, I'm not a fan. Well, so in 2023, and I know he came back later to the World Cup, so some of this is a bit weird, but in 2023, he played ODIs and averaged 11, right? Hmm. So he, he didn't shame the selectors there. Um, in uh, 2018, 2020, and 2021, so he plays 70, 20 games in that time. Uh, I certainly averaged under 20 at probably around a run of ball, less than a run of ball, right? In 2017, he plays five uh, T20s, averages 22, less than a run of ball. In 2016, he averaged 41 at a strike rate of 119. That's what I'm talking about. He's, he's putting up fringe performances, right? Like hmm. you can't compl- complain about selectors if when you do get a go, you don't do anything. This isn't a forward um, alarm situation or a Dean Jones yeah. situation or something where it's like, well, look at my numbers. You know, fear me. It's like hmm. they are—they were clearly trying to rebuild, right? And yeah. as I said, there were issues there. I, and I'm not saying there aren't political issues. Obviously, they're always going to be. But he put himself in a situation where they could do that. And, and that's the bit that I think too often with professional athletes that they don't understand. They are not willing to also put their hand up and go, do you know what? That I do think there was an agenda against me and I do think they turned against me. But also when I did get those opportunities, I didn't do enough with them or I mm. wasn't working on my fitness enough or I wasn't working on my professionalism enough or I wasn't working on my bowling enough, whatever thing it is, right? He is so talented even to this day. He can come into the World Cup, wobble people out with his ridiculous <laughs> old man bowling, right? He's still a really talented bowler, but, uh, you know, and, and clearly barely bowls anymore. Um, and we know what he can do with the bat. But does anyone feel like when he came into the World Cup, we, we, we saw like a phenom, like, you know, outside of the innings where he didn't actually bat at all, um, uh, I, you know, he just didn't look like that level of player, right? And he's got to be but honest. For instance, for instance, let's uh, compare his career, even though it's not a fair comparison, uh, to Tessara Pereira. And I'm talking strictly in terms of T20 commodities. If you were to construct a T10 team today, I'm saying T10 because neither of those guys are getting into a T20 team. Which one are you picking? Of yeah. course, you're picking Pereira. Yeah, and you know, so. and, and Pereira, you could argue there were some professional questions with him. He certainly was never mm-hmm. a smarter player as Angelo Matthews, although you know, very clever T20 cricketer in his own way. Um, mm-hmm. But he 100 understood what was needed 
and what he needed to do to be successful. He needed to go out there and average about 15 with a bat, but strike at 170 strike rate. And he gave it a fair whack, right? And with the ball, he knew he had to take regular wickets and probably take some risk. And he put all himself all into that sort of two baskets. Now, there are probably people in Sri Lankan cricket who will say, we didn't get the most out of him as an overall cricketer. And he went towards that T20 route to it. But he did that and he optimized his performance. When was the last time you looked at Angelo Matthews and said he optimized it before? He is still – think about the way he can play in Asia, right? Hmm. Think about the way he can field, right? And think about his ability to bowl one or two overs when you need them as a bowler. That's still an IPL-level player. Yet when was yeah. the last time he was on even a short list of an IPL team where they're like, oh, we've got to get him into the side, right? Maybe hmm. around the squads, maybe even in a couple of squads over the last four or five years – but when was the last time they looked at it and actually went, we're going to, we're going to need him to play for us, right? It's like that, and you and I know there aren't that many. I mean, how many Asian uh, good, batters who are good in Asian conditions can also give you one or two overs of good seam and are good movers in the field, mm -hmm. right? Like he's still got everything that you would need for that. Yeah, so, you know, talk, get, get your performances to do the talking, Angelo, and maybe something better than 46 of 38, even though you won Sri Lanka the game. And... Uh, Phil Wilson is saying five T20 fifties uh, in a row for Sikandar Raza. So we did an entire podcast <laughs> on Sikandar Raza. That's why I don't want to spend a lot of time on him today. Is he, he good now? Is he? Most, I didn't know. He also has the most player of the match awards uh, in international cricket this year. I, I believe the number is at nine. In all of these games that you're talking about, he's also performed really well with the ball, albeit against weaker opposition, but three for 13 in this game. What I actually do want to talk about, Jared, though, is that Sikandar Raza is, what, 37? Then you've got some other older batters in this Zimbabwean lineup, such as Sean Williams and Craig Irvine, who actually got 82 for them in the second game. But it feels like once these guys call it a day, Zimbabwean cricket, at least in terms of the batting, is going to experience a pretty significant drop. I, I think that's their issue already, right? Like, I mean, hmm. we, you know, yep. we had an argument with a Zimbabwe fan on here a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think their batting is particularly strong already. And you're right. I, my big fear is that just as their bowlers finally develop into the kind of unit that they can be, mm. it's a really good bowling unit. They're going to run out of batters. And hopefully, you know, some young players can come through and, and you know, things can change, uh, you know, and at least, you know, back them up a little bit. But there mm. is no doubt that this is a fantastic bowling unit. Sikanda, I, I, and I say this with no knowledge at all, but if I was him, I would not be looking at retiring in the next couple of years. But Irvine and Williams yeah. might be, might be thinking that, you know, uh, one or two more years is, is all they have. And um, that team is held together by Sikandar Raza and bowling at the moment. And mm. if you take away the batting and make the top order even weaker, he has to go in even earlier. Ryan Burl has to go in even earlier. One of them's probably, mm. probably going to have to bat top four, you know, if they can't find proper replacements. There's some issues there for them. Some, some of them are going to have to make up for Joy Lord Gumby's strike rate. Joy, Joy Lord <laughs> is, yeah, it's uh, you know... Um, look, the, the Lord of Joy. They've got a lot of players who have got have had some top order batting over the last couple of years, and you mm -hmm. just go, if this this is in their best, let's say not even their best four players, if this is in their best six or eight players, there's an issue mm -hmm. in Zimbabwean cricket when it comes to batters at the moment. And um, so yeah, uh, you know, to go back to your original point, I think that's an issue. Here's the bigger issue I have: this team is actually fully actualized, right? Outside of the one kid whose name I always forget, who's playing schoolboy cricket in um, uh, in England, and uh, you know Gary Balance re-retiring, 
this is hmm. this is pretty much Zimbabwe cricket at its best, and it's a really good balanced team with experience. You know, a couple of younger players, excellent fast bowlers, excellent spinners, all rounders, and yet they keep getting themselves into positions to win, and they keep yeah. losing. Right, and and you know, we had the magic of the T Twenty World Cup um, in Australia. Hmm. That's it. That's all we've got yeah. out of this incredibly good balanced team. And, you know, Netherlands have embarrassed them and, you know, all these, uh, you know, uh, all these other teams that, you know, have, yeah. have gone past them or beaten them at times or kept them at bay. And, you know, Namibia have outperformed them, I yeah. would say, over the last couple of years yeah. consistently, right? It's like, well, if you can't win with this, as you said, what happens when you do get a couple of retirements or, or I don't know, someone signs for major league cricket or someone decides to only play franchise yeah. cricket instead of playing for you? I really worry about it because... It's there and it's not winning. And I don't re and I don't know if it's just because their top order is just not strong enough to give them the totals they need mm. um, or whatever that may be. But it, it really is. Uh, Sekunda Russa in any other team would be like the player that turns a decent team into a well-beating team. Sekunda Russa can't mm. even turn them into a consistently winning team. Yeah, and it's really all been downhill for the Chevrons since the Park Bean Derby in the T20 yeah. World Cup. Of whoever does not know about the ghost that, of Mr. Google Bean, it. I don't have. Yeah, I do not have the time to explain the story to you because we already have a lot of things to talk about. But uh, you spoke of their bowling. Oh, sorry, and also Dave Houghton has resigned, so that's also bad news, right? Oh, I missed that. And, when did that uh, happen? That happened. It happened recently. Oh I God. saw that news. That is really. We bad. suspected it, didn't we? We suspected it. Look, I think. Um, Oh God, that was four weeks ago. How did I miss that? Um, yeah. uh, the truth is that they haven't been winning and they played a lot of good cricket. And they have. I know it sounds weird. Yeah. Zimbabwe fans get really angry when I say that, but they actually have played a lot of good cricket and they did assemble a really good team, but it just hasn't worked. And hmm. he was always going to be the one to, uh, to go. I don't think it's his fault though. And, um, yeah. I, and I'm saying he's resigned here, but he, knowing Zimbabwe cricket, other things might have happened. But Dave Houghton is... I, I think that if you've got a franchise cricket team or a county yeah. cricket team, uh, I think Dave Houghton, what he did with Zimbabwe was really change the trajectory of that team. But in the end, it didn't work. I think he's a really interesting coach going ahead. Yeah, wish him the best of luck. And, you know, maybe someone does snap him up, particularly in the franchise world. You spoke of Zimbabwe's bowling. They've been very, very impressive, their paces in particular. And someone who took a fifer in the second game was Richard Ngarava. And this is someone who has really impressed me a lot over the last few years. He's actually, you know, upped Muzarabani at times in the series for one. And that is, uh, you know, a feat on its own because Muzarabani, I think, is class. But, uh, you know, this is someone who seemed to have fallen off in between. He's once again, you know, looking fiery. Zimbabwe have got to do something over here with these paces because if not now, then it's never, literally. Yeah. This is it. Well, I mean, as we just said, I think as they're sort of all developing together, um, yeah. uh, you know, if those if they do lose a couple of batters, that will be that will be an issue. Look, he's he's probably a player who is more suited to T20 than one-day cricket. And I don't, when you say he's fallen off, I think what you really mean is if you, it depends on when you watch him. I think if you watch mm. him in T20 cricket, you usually think he's pretty good. And in one-day cricket, it doesn't quite translate the same way so far. Incredibly talented, quite kind of a raw bowler, like kind mm. of a, you know, there's there's elements of what, like a Rahat Ali type thing of he's a left-arm <laughs> bowler who doesn't maybe know everything that he needs to do in order to bowl a good delivery. Yeah. But he's a, uh, there's a lot of talent there. Um, and mm. I think 
Um, I'm f- f- blanking on the third guy. Um, uh, Tendai. Tendai? Chitara. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Yeah, all three of them. And I get why Blessing is the, you know, is friggin' 19 foot tall and skillful. Yeah. But all three of them really show good things. And it's a good little attack, especially when you've got Burl and, and Sakanda Raza, who can both bat as, as well as bowl there. They're like, they're, that's what I was talking about. There's a lot of good things. But, um, hmm. you know, I think. I want to say Ingarava played in the Sri Lankan Premier League one stage or the Lankan might Premier have, League. Might have. Um, Someone's asking over here, Vuyu is saying uh, whether or not he deserves an IPL contract. Maybe a PSL contract. I know Blessing got one. He did well for Multan. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I think well, that, well, what I was about to say is I think he's not that far away from being a franchise player. IPL, I think he probably have to show it a little bit more on the circuit. Um uh, hmm. As I said, because he's a little bit raw and, and things can go wrong with him at times. But he's, if you're asking me if he has IPL level skill or, sorry, IPL level talent or upside, the answer is hmm. yes. Like he is, you know, th- yeah. that, that level of player. But, it, but he needs to work on all the soft skills and, and, and everything else that, that go with his game. But again, they, they have that talent there. And it's just sad that, like, I was watching the game the other day. I think you sent a message. or No, it was Estelle, of course, who was saying, Schlock is yeah. going to lose this. You know, and I flicked over, and I was, and and the minute I flicked over, I thought to myself, "No, they're not. This is a this is a complete waste of mm. my time. They're not going to lose this." <laughs> um, and and it's the amount of times that I've seen a game where I'm like, "Oh, Zimbabwe should win this game," and kind of by the time I sort of settle in to start watching it, they start to lose again. They has have this incredible knack and of of not being able to keep the pressure on as long as possible. Mm. Yeah, for the love of God, Zimbabwe, please start winning some games because you've got two fans in us over here and plenty of others. And Jay Rich has said that Ingarava has been picked for the Silet Strikers in the BPL, yeah. so best of luck to him. Exactly. He, Final he thoughts on Sri Lanka. Yeah. Sorry, go. Final thoughts on Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe before we can move on. The spin bowling duo has been doing well and that is their primary weapon in limited overs games. Mahish Tikshana took a fofa in the second game and then uh, Wanindu Hasaranga on his comeback, took 7 for 19, which are like the 4th or 5th best ODI figures of all time in the second, or sorry, 3rd ODI. And, uh, you know, they rolled over Zimbabwe for 96 or 97 in the process. Also, both of them did well in the T20 game and Hasa Ranga is now the new skipper. So, lots of fun stuff over there. I mean, it's funny because it feels like he's never fit or available. Um, and, yeah. and uh, look, I, I think you and I are big fans of him. Uh, he's mm-hmm. certainly a talented player and it'll be I'd be really interested to see how he captains because I think he thinks about cricket in a really interesting way, watching the way he plays bats and bowls. Um, I'm just glad he's back. But, you know, Hasaranga is – I don't know how many times you've seen Hasaranga bowl to the players just below that elite level. So almost everyone from, I have. like, Netherlands down, right? Like, mm. they have no idea what to do with Hasaranga. Mm. Like, he just sides through those sides. And, and it, not that he doesn't do it. We've seen him be successful in the IPL and internationals and everything. But that level below, they just look at him like he's bowling, you know, he's he's bowling marbles at them and they have no idea what to do against him. And so I'm not surprised that he did well again. Well, I've seen him bowl uh, to Pakistan batters who aren't, you know, a level below and he's made them look like absolute well. fools as well. So. <laughs> but anyway on that note we shall take a break over here you're watching Uncovered with Jared and Biram and lots of other fun stuff coming up so stay tuned and we'll be back after this short ad welcome back to Uncovered you're with Bairam and Jared and this is very interesting back and forth going between Jay Rich and Usha Arora in the comments Usha Arora has sent 
15 messages at least asking for what our thoughts are on Smith's test opener. We're not going to bother because there's a footmarks coming Dude, Literally, anyway. you will get anyway. 45 minutes of our opinions on that. Just wait. <laughs> Maybe even more the way these podcasts go. But anyway, uh, let's go to the next topic. And uh, Sandeep Lamishane, uh, prodigy leg spin bowler from Nepal, broke onto the scene and, you know, you know, brought Nepal or Nepalese cricket to the forefront. Everyone was talking about it, picked up franchise gigs. He has been sentenced to eight years in prison on charges of rape. It was kind of coming. But Jared, you and I were talking off camera and uh, you mentioned how this is not the first time something like this has happened in cricket. And, you know, in past instances, the people who have been involved in these sorts of charges and sentences, they've gotten away with it. Yeah, I, I think... You know, obviously, this Makai Rantini case is maybe the most famous. Mm. Uh, Scott Kugeline of recent times is another one. There's some others I can't mention for legal reasons um, mm. as well of, you know, interesting things that have happened in cricket. And I think that – I think cricket does have a sexual um, – I probably want to say sexual assault problem rather than, you know, this mm. is obviously the other end, you know, the, the far end of that scale. But I do think a lot of cricketers don't really understand – and not trained correctly by cricket boards, um, the, the rights and wrongs of how to uh, deal with women. Oh, sorry, we also had the case in um, Australia with um, uh, Gunathalaka. Uh, mm. Is it Gunathalaka? Yeah, Gunathalaka. And uh, yeah, I think Estelle was mentioning another Sri Lankan great. Yeah, uh, you know, so, you know, th there's certainly been uh, situations in the past of, mm. um, of these sorts of things happening. I think what was interesting here is with Sandeep being a national hero and everything else, I kind of just thought this would go away. Um, I, I haven't been following the case. And also, uh, you, know, you know, there was the other case too in Bangladesh. I forget the, was it Ebola, um, who was charged with rape, but it was actually that he had premarital sex with um, a woman and then broke off the marriage. So hmm. I, w the, the thing is that rape and, and sexual assault and all these different types of things and uh are very different in every single different country. But I just figured that, you know, generally the powerful athletes get away with, you know, uh, Kobe mm. Bryant and uh, Ronaldo. And, uh, you know, there's mm. always these sort of allegations against these sorts of people. Usually they sort of disappear that way. So I... Yeah. Robinho was one Brazilian footballer. Then it was Franck Ribéry from France. There, there are plenty of uh, cases over here that we could mention. So, but, but, but the point yeah, is, you'd think that they they usually just, want to protect I just didn't expect him to go to jail. I expected it to mm. be plead down or to be settled out of court or whatever they did mm. to get away with it. Um, it's so I was shocked when I saw this. I'll be honest. Mm. Um, you know, someone who's followed sport for so long, uh, I just didn't expect this to happen. But I hadn't been following the trial, so I don't know if you had been following the trial and it was just an open and shut case. And you know, there was there was uh, no, nothing that was always going towards this. I I, I don't know enough about that, but. Um, just huge that, you know, the biggest cricketer in, mm. in maybe one of the most exciting cricket nations on earth or most exciting development cricket nations on earth um, have lost their star player and uh, it would be fascinating to see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, I would expect Nepal to protect him, as sad as that sounds, because they'd want him to be on the field. And I mean, a Kathmandu court made the ruling, so he still hasn't gone to jail. Yeah. He's just been sentenced. We wouldn't know for sure till he actually does go to jail. But yeah, I mean, in terms of precedent setting, at some point, something like this has to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, as I said, I don't think, and I say this as someone who's worked inside the game and has a lot of friends yeah. who are players and past players and everything else. I'm not 
surprised that this happens. I'm almost surprised that it doesn't happen more often. Um, huh. I don't think that, that there's something about the way that professional athletes are brought up, especially the male ones, obviously, but the way they're brought up, there's a sense of entitlement, especially when it comes to women. Um, again, I don't know anything about this case, so I don't even know what happened, right? Like I, I just yeah. don't know enough about it. But as a broader spectrum, I do think it is an issue mm. within cricket. And I don't think it's just about this is the really extreme end of it, obviously. Mm. But we've seen Joe Clark and Alex Hales and, you know, other other players get involved with WhatsApp messages about women and, you know, keeping trophies and all this sort of stuff. It, it's icky yeah, um, mm. at times. And, and the conversations I've had with players and everything else. And someone was telling me the other day that there's a, you know, a prominent IPL player whose name I've now forgotten as well, but who's like a massive Andrew Tate fan. It's like, dude, mm. like a 12 year olds, are massive Andrew Tate fans. Anyone, <laughs> anyone older than 12 who likes and Andrew Tate um, needs to reevaluate everything about their life. But again, it's all that sort of stuff is just like, wait, what, what are we talking mm. about here? Um, and you know, it's an issue for cricket going forward. It, th these things. Yeah. Obviously the main problem here is the victim. And, you know, they've uh, hopefully they feel happy with the justice that's been meted out and, and, and everything else. Um, but, you know, cricket has a place within the society that it exists in mm. and sports can't run away from that. This whole idea of sport and politics yeah. don't miss, mix it. Cricket has a place within our society and it needs to mm -hmm. do the best it can. Um, and as, uh, I'm telling you as someone who's worked in the sport, I don't believe that is the case. I don't think the, um, yeah. uh, that this has worked on as well as it could be. Yeah, and particularly, you know, in South Asia, it's even bigger than there is in the rest of the world. And I'll tell you one thing about the justice system in South Asia. It's not very good. So let's see how this unfolds. Anyway, Sarfaraz non-selection. A lot of you people who are watching this must think we're talking about the Pakistan wicketkeeper. Shayan thought we were talking about the Pakistan wicketkeeper. We're not talking about Sarfaraz Ahmed. We're going to be talking about Sarfaraz Khan. He is, uh, you know... Big-time run scorer in the Ranji Trophy. He had a hiatus of roughly three to four years from first-class cricket, Jared. And Safraz Khan, ever since he came back, scored 3,157 3, runs at an average of 85 all over. In India, that average goes up to 92 odd. I think odd, he's got the second-highest first-class average ever behind Bradman at the moment. I think I'm right saying that. That, that's even more crazy. And he just scored 96 versus the England Lions in a two-day game. Yet, once again, he's been left out of India's test squad for the England series. This happens every time India pick a test squad. There's lots of discourse on Sarfaraz Khan. And, I mean, do you think it's a touch harsh considering India selected a third wicketkeeper in Dhruv Jurel? And, I mean, there's the larger question over here of uh, or debate over here that India prioritizes or picks players on the basis of the IPL and the Ranji performers aren't getting rewarded. Do you think it's an issue? I think if you want to know what I think the main issue is, I think it would be his um, body fat index, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I think there is definitely a prejudice against that. I also think that under Birat Kohli specifically, there was a real movement towards players getting more fit. Um, and that Indian cricket has tried to honour that as much as possible. Mm. Um, look, he's a fascinating cricketer because there's nothing about him that says he shouldn't be a great IPL cricketer, right? Like it just hasn't happened. It doesn't – like he was exciting. Was it the first year he came into the IPL? I was like, wow, this guy could be anything. Literally, RCB let KL Raul go and kept him. Um, <laughs> and it was a bit more complicated than that as someone was around at that time. But 
essentially they did think he was going to be that good and he hasn't. Uh, I, 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 I do understand the whole Ranji thing and why you would be frustrated. I think that especially with Ronald Dravid, who's probably worked in development quite a bit with the underage teams and the A team, he has a very good idea of who he probably thinks is better. Far more than, hmm. you know, Brendan McCullum doesn't know who the best A team player. Like, he can be told, but he's not out there working with them, right? And and so I do hmm. think compared to most coaches, um, uh, Ronald Dravid will have an idea. And I would say it's probably more to do with that. Um, than uh, than anything else when it comes to the Ranji players. But we're seeing all around the world that teams are backing talent over performance in some of those Red Bull competitions. But I do think with him mm. it is, uh, a lot of it is, and I'm not going to relitigate the body shaming mm. and the, uh, you know, uh, athletes and uh, all being different sizes and all those different things um, that we've talked about many times before. But I do think there is an element of that as well. I th- you know, him and Prithvi Shaw, uh, noticeably mm. bigger dudes now, right? And yeah, uh, and India isn't. I always, th- I always think about. It. We go back to the Angelo Matthews singer before, right? Hmm. When you have a situation where you are on the edge of being picked, right, and you're not an automatic player, when you were in that situation, if the other person is fit and you're not fit, you won't get picked. Hmm. And that is, I, I almost think that I. I at a certain point, you kind of have to accept that is the case. Whereas if you're just so much better than everyone else, and I think that's where Safras is now getting to, people are saying, well, wait mm-hmm. a minute. It's no longer that he, you know, if he's averaging this and no one else is, I think that's when that comes in. But the truth is that the, those yeah. sorts of players do have to overperform. Mark, Mark Cosgrove, one of the best natural mm-hmm. batters I've ever seen. Australia played him. He made some runs. And ultimately, they just went for other players, right? And... You know, we've seen that again and again with uh, cricket teams probably since the mid-90s. Um, they quite often, you know, uh, fielding is important, athleticism is important, running between wickets, all these different things. Um, it's not just about being able to do one part of your job correctly. Yeah, and I mean, you could probably get it away with it in T20 cricket because it's a shorter format. Test cricket is a whole different animal, right? So If, if, he, there is... if he's making runs of first-class cricket, it's an extra day. Maybe he can't test cricket. I don't know, but you would think he yeah. would be fine. But but you're right. Oh, oh, and all these things matter. But if you're asking me the main reason, I would. that's where I would be putting my money. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair, I guess. And uh, well, maybe in the future he is, uh, or he continues to, you know, uh, chart those runs and maybe we'll see Safaraz Khan in Test Cricket. Uh, but before we end this podcast, I put in this segment specifically because you have a story over here. <laughs> I David saw Warner, it and I was like, does he want yeah. me to tell the story or does he have more info? Absolutely. <laughs> No, no, I, I don't have any info. For those of you who don't know, David Warner was on a family vacation and he was scheduled to play a big bash game at the SCG. And Warner came on a copter, helicopter directly to the Sydney Cricket Ground, which is very, very David Warner-like. But Jared has uh, some more context to this story. So David Warner loves helicopters, right? <laughs> um, there are two things that we know about David Warner. He likes turtles and he likes helicopters. So I don't know if you had this in Canada, but very briefly on Uber, and I don't know if you had to get a separate mm-hmm. app, but you could get a helicopter between places. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have the budget for it, obviously, but I did have the app. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember having a conversation. With, well, anyway, this the reason I knew that Uber had helicopters was because David Warner told me. Right? And he's saying, oh, Jared, you just can't get around Sydney anymore without a helicopter. And I kind of thought he was taking a mickey a little bit. 
And then I went, yeah. uh, what? And he was like, oh, you know, the new Uber. And he showed me it. And he goes, oh, I love it. I'll get a helicopter everywhere. And I'm thinking, look, mm -hmm. Sydney's hard to get around, but it's not like Mumbai or, you know, London or New York. Like you can get around Sydney. Not always <laughs> easy, but you can. And so then we were, we were in St. Lucia and the main airport in St. Lucia is uh, down south and the cricket grounds up hmm. north. Now, when I say down south and up north, we are talking maybe an hour and a half if you have a slow driver. I've done that trip hmm. from, south, uh, from south to north in 40 minutes with a quick driver. Like if you've got someone who's willing to put his foot down, you could, there's not a lot of traffic in St. Lucia, put it this way. Right? It just depends on how you like driving around mountain, mountainy roads. And um, David Warner's like, we should all chip in and get a helicopter and we should go up. And I'm thinking by the time you go and you go and check and you, you do all that and, and then also one team, the whole team won't even feel it, fit in on a, on a helicopter as well. Like uh, imagine being the sort of people that you do it. And then I'm thinking, well, helicopter's still going to take 15 or 20 minutes to get up to the north part of the island anyway. <laughs> and, and also my guess is you then have to get a car from the helicopter. Mm -hmm. and, anyway. The man loves helicopters. So when I heard this story, I just real, I was just like, this is the most David Warner thing ever. Um, if somehow David Warner could get a turtle on a helicopter, that would be his perfect life. What about a turtle-shaped helicopter? I, That's the holy grail right there. Just get a one of those big leatherback turtles, which I think they might have in St. Lucia as well, hollow it out, <laughs> put a propeller on top, it is exactly what David Warner wants in life. So I was, I was the only, I think a lot of other people, oh, he's getting a helicopter. I was the only person going, he always gets helicopters. The man loves a helicopter. He's probably got a helicopter to go to his local McDonald's to get a burger. They should have had the helicopter, helicopter song when he kind of landed at the SG. I don't think you, I'm not sure if you've heard it or not. It was like a meme, but go go check that out. Uh, anyway, that's a fantastic note, I suppose, to end this podcast. Uh, Jay. <laughs> Jay Rich is asking where I was at in Canada. So I'll just tell him I was uh, studying at Waterloo and then I was living in Toronto, 11 years over there. So yeah, maybe I'll be back someday. But anyway, thanks to everyone in the comment section who participated. We always love having these interactions. And if you haven't subscribed to this channel, subscribe right now. Subscribe to Jared's other channel as well. And that's it for Uncovered this week. We'll be back next week with episode 68. That's all from Jared and Bairam. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.